avoid the front page, which after all contained nothing but scare headlines. The Outline, World Dispatch. Tuesday, August 8th, 2017. I'm Aaron Edwards. Today on The Dispatch. William Turton on a Silicon Valley venture capitalist who wants to fix what tech did to California. His connection to politics really was his friendship and partnership with Trump surrogate Peter Thiel. And Ander Gallo on artists who use hoaxes to promote their bad music. It's just a series of lies. Here's the dispatch. The future. William. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great. You were in San Francisco this past week. I was. And you talked to this guy who I have no idea who he is, but I think people who are listening maybe will know him. Right. I mean, those in the tech world would know who Sam Altman is. He's the president of Y Combinator. It's this incubator slash startup school. Um, And there's been a ton of huge successes that have come out of Y Combinator, like Airbnb and Dropbox. Um, Multiple billion-dollar companies have begun in Y Combinator, and Sam Altman um, is now doing this thing outside of Y Combinator called the United Slate. That sounds uh, bad. I don't know. What is this exactly? Is it a startup? So I went to the Y Combinator office uh, south of Market Street in San Francisco, um, and I met him in a conference room where he kind of explained to me what this group is, and really it's just him and two other guys who have outlined these proposals for 10 different policy ideas, and they're going to try and get five candidates in California on board and get them to run for various elections like U.S. Congress, but also local elections in California. So you want someone who kind of matches what you're thinking? As close as possible, yeah. Right, but, yeah. You, but not you. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of what I tried to do with this, which is just I will put out the 10 policy things that I want to see happen. Right. And if someone is willing to say, I'm going to go do these things, then I will try to help them get elected. So we started off with like three overall principles that I think are important, um, which are prosperity for technology, economic fairness, and personal liberty. And I think I think a democracy needs everyone's lives to get better every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think prosperity is how we've done that. Like we have this machine, we have this prosperity machine in the US. We've created a huge amount of wealth. It's not distributed very well, but we need to keep doing that. Two is then you, we have to change how we distribute that. We have to stop and you know, we, we have to figure out how to lift everybody up. Mm-hmm. So two is economic fairness. And then the last one is just personal liberty. And I think that um, I, individual freedom, uh, especially in the current administration, is just under attack. So this guy is a startup tech Silicon Valley dude. He's who, a venture capitalist. Right. And He's didn't super really, rich. didn't really have any connection to politics before this. Why did he start I mean, his, this thing? His connection to politics really was his friendship and partnership with Trump surrogate Peter Thiel. When Trump won the election, Sam came under fire for not really distancing himself from Peter Thiel, who stumped for Trump at the RNC, pledged to give Trump more than a million dollars. I don't, I don't pretend to agree with every plank in our party's platform, but fake culture wars only distract us from our economic decline. And nobody in this race is being honest about it except Donald Trump. Um, and Sam, you know, refused to distance himself from Peter Thiel and instead kind of embarked on this tour of California and also this tour of America to kind of talk to real Americans and find out what they want. He's been doing focus groups. And, you know, as, as a result of these focus groups, he's now kind of proposing 
the United Slate, which features things like Medicare for All, cutting 10% from the U.S. defense budget and putting it in R&D, different changes to the tax code to make housing more affordable. Uh, Well, there's a part I wanted to talk about in your interview with him where he kind of talks about his philosophy on democracy and politics. Right. And he says that everyone's lives need to get better every year, and I think prosperity is how we do that. When this guy is thinking about candidates he wants to put up for office, who is he thinking about including? Does this include more than just white guys who look like him? Or Right. What's the idea behind it? That's a great question. And, yeah, I was very interested by the fact that when I asked Sam, you know, does this everyone, you know, everyone's lives need to get better, he says. Does this include people who are already really rich and wealthy? And he said, yeah. And that everyone includes people who are already rich? Um, what do you mean by Well, you said everyone's life should get better every year. Yeah, people who are already rich, too. As far as the candidate he run, wants to run, it seems like some might have a tech background. But it seems to me like he wants to run candidates against kind of like the already established politicians that you might know from California. So what's the next thing to look out for with this group? Is he going to announce these people soon? Yeah, so Sam told me in a few months they might start announcing candidates. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see who these people are, how much they subscribe and adhere to these kind of 10 policy proposals that Sam has outlined. Um, But also what I hope more than anything else is if there's a group of people running together and they say like, hey, all five of us will run as a slate and here's this new set of things we believe. No one's tried that in a while, but I hope there will be like this uh, network effect. Right. And so so these people would run in the Democratic Party independently? Uh, uh, It really depends on who we end up partnering with, but I think it'll be a mix of Democrats and independents. One other question for you. So if this guy is the one who is pushing these candidates forward and kind of setting the agenda for what they're running on, what does he have to gain once they, like, say one of them actually gets into office? Does he then effectively become a lobbyist who can, you know, affect what these politicians are doing in office from his, like, incubator? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Like, you would assume in theory he would have some influence and sway if he helped them get elected. I think for Sam, it might be kind of this genuine feeling that there's a lot of inequality in America, a lot of wealth disparity, and that these policies would fix it. And I think he's just personally motivated by trying to fix this stuff. Culture. Arcade Fire, which is a band that I have not listened to since I lived in Georgia around a lot of um, nice white people is doing some weird things with marketing because they released an album that was not great and they have this uh, promotional team that is putting out effectively what is hoaxes and fake news to drum up support and interest around their fledgling awful music. We are everything now and soon you will be too. (laughs) And now for a performance by Arcade Fire. And Derek Gaillot is here to talk about this story. Anne, how's it going? Good. How about you, Aaron? I'm good. I'm, for some reason, a little bit angered by Arcade Fire, (laughs) which I didn't think is a sentence I would say in 2017, but... (laughs) Yeah, so Arcade Fire has just been doing this long marketing campaign to 
promote their new album, Everything Now. And it's just a series of lies that they're telling um, their fans and the media. In my article, I kind of talk about how all these different hoaxes are kind of revealing a thing people have complained about in a lot of arts writing for a long time and that a lot of writers aren't incentivized to be as critical as they could be. And there's a lot of reliance on what the artist is telling you, but it's really annoying that it's just less about the music and more about these now very tired PR stunts. What are the actual quote unquote hoaxes that Arcade Fire has been doing? Well, one involves fidget spinners. They said that they were going to release their own branded fidget spinners with a USB with their new album on it. They put up a page on Twitter where you could supposedly buy the fidget spinners, but everyone who went found that they were sold out immediately. They made a spoof music review page to review their album ahead of time. They made a fake billboard page to report on a fake lawsuit that they were doing involving the millennial whoop. They submitted a writer to Stephen Colbert's show saying, like, with all these ridiculous requests, and then had Stephen Colbert tweet that they were jerks or something like that. And then, you know, it's just like one thing after another, and it's just, it's so tired. I'm really confused here, because it sounds like they're spending more time doing this stuff than actually making good music, which, you know, makes sense, because... I don't know, you kind of hide what you can't do by doing other stuff to get press. This is really weird to me. Yeah, I think you're totally right because it kind of backfires and kind of casts the project in a weird light where it can't stand on its own merits. So all these theatrics are, I think, kind of bad PR in a way. So they're not alone with this. What are some other groups or people who have been doing weird things that you found? Well, CeeLo Green um, last year circulated a video of a phone exploding in his ear that actually was a fake video that raised concerns from his fans but was just promotion for his new project, Gnarly Davidson. Oh, lovely. That hasn't really made a lot of waves. People aren't talking about whatever the hell Gnarly Davidson is. And um, probably the worst or the most egregious example is this L.A. band called Yacht, who last year said they were going to start selling copies of a sex tape that they said was being leaked without their permission. Show yourself. So they cast themselves as victims of a revenge porn scheme, and then it actually turned out that they were lying about the whole thing. The video turned out to be a music video, where at the end they're revealed to be aliens. And it really upset a lot of people because they kind of made light of your sex tape being leaked without your permission. So that was a weird, a weird one. And again, it didn't really result in people loving their album more. It just made people mad at them. A lot of journalists who cover music and pop culture oftentimes seem to just go along with these things when they get posted online because the assumption is that it's real, like... So what is a music journalist who's trying to be factual and correct actually supposed to do? Yeah, well, that's a really tough question because there's so many um, economic forces on journalists, you know. So some basic things that people can do are corroborate facts that sound shady. Always ask for 
statements from the people you're talking about. And sometimes it's just like, just wait a minute before you write an article on something and maybe just give it time to see how it plays out. These are things that, you know, journalists who cover breaking news and uh, quote-unquote hard news are more accustomed to doing every single day, you know, uh, verifying Mm -hmm. before you put something online, you confirm before you speak. That's a really good point. And it's just, I think, also kind of weighing like how how big of a deal is it if Arcade Fire lied about making a fidget spinner and how much does that motivate someone to really look into if that's real or not? I don't know. All right. Well, Anne, thanks so much for chatting with me about fake news and, and music journalism. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. That's it for The Dispatch. You can hear us every Monday through Thursday and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm Aaron Edwards. Until next time.